God is good. I remember very distinctly the preparations for the first service of Grace Fellowship Hell, July 4th, 2004. Some of you were around then. And you remember the anticipation and, quite frankly, if you were like me, a little bit of fear. The primary reason was I didn't know who was going to show up. I didn't know whether it would just be a handful of people or whether God would do something tremendous. But you know what? I left that place that day rejoicing because God had confirmed a direction for a new church. And since that time, God has shown his favor to us. I have rejoiced to be able to pray with people who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and their lives have been changed forever. I have seen families changed and some completely transformed. I've seen people growing in their faith and getting excited about what God is doing. I've seen people get connected into groups, begin to build friendships and bonds that are going to last throughout the rest of their lives. I've seen people get excited about sharing their faith, not only here in Greene County, but in distant lands. And I've seen people serving with shovels, wheelbarrows, with meals being cooked and and taken places, with small acts of kindness and great acts of sacrifice. I've seen all these things since July 4th, 2004. And I am amazed at what God has done and what God is doing through you. And through it all, we have held tightly to a mission. Our mission is this. Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I look back, I see that many times we have been dead on target with our mission. We have been right on target. But as I began to think and pray about what God would have us to do and to be, I recognize that there's still yet a higher level that God has for us. In other words, God's not finished yet. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. And he's not finished with grace fellowship. And we together need to discover what that higher level is. Now, there's certainly a higher level as we've been talking about in the life of our church. But let me bring this down at least for a moment to your life. Do you recognize that God has a higher level, a next level for you? I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your spiritual level is at this moment. God has a next level for you. God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And we need to begin to ask the right questions if we want God to give us the right answers. Questions like, God, what is the next level? What does it look like? What is the next level for me spiritually? What is the next level of me when it comes to serving, both inside the walls and outside the walls of this church building? What is the next level of me sharing my faith? Should I take that step to go on a mission trip? Should I take that step to go across the street? What is the next level, God, in my stewardship? How is it that you want me to use my money more effectively this year than last year? God, what does the next level look like? That I'm going to have to leave to you. 
don't worry. I'm not going to call you tomorrow morning at 530 and ask you, hey, what's the next level look like? But I just want to encourage you to think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it. What's the next level? What I would like to do is to continue a theme from the last few weeks as we talked about the next level in relation to missions. Missions, that is communicating the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost in an effort to see them come to faith in him themselves. We considered the plight of the lost. We considered the, uh, what happens to those what happens to those who never heard? We've heard stories of missionaries like Jim Elliott and his friends who died in order to carry the gospel of Jesus to a remote tribe in Ecuador. And I've tried to challenge us with three simple words where I'd like us to focus today. Pray, give, and go. Today I want us to consider these as more than words, but perhaps as a call to action. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. We are listening and ready to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray. In Matthew chapter 9, Verses 35 to 38, we read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus looked around. He saw the hurting. He saw the helpless. He saw the lost. And what did he tell his disciples to do first? This is counterintuitive to us type A's. He told them, pray. He didn't say, come on, guys, let's saddle up and go get them. He said, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, the one who calls them in and the one to whom they belong, pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up the workers to go out into his field. Now, why? Why would Jesus say, when you look at the great need, pray? As I thought about this, an experiment back from my high school days, physical science, I remember taking that class. I thought of this. In physical science, I remember one experiment that we had where we took a tuning fork. You know what I'm talking about? Metal comes up, has two prongs, and and you whack it on something, and it begins to, to vibrate kind of makes a little humming sound, and you can barely see the the blur of movement. But that wasn't the experiment. The experiment was that you hold that one up after you've struck it, and then you bring another tuning fork right alongside it. What happens? Anybody know? The other one begins 
to pick up the vibration and begins to, to vibrate, to, to resonate with that same vibration. Now, do you know why? I, this just didn't come to me. You know, I don't often sit around thinking about physical science. I was meeting with Glad in my office, and we began to hear this rumbling kind of hum going on. And it was just the weirdest thing. You know, what's, what's going on? What's all this noise? Is something happening with one of the AC, the heating units up on the top? What's, what's going on? I stepped outside, and I could hear from Novellis next door that they were running their equipment. And what was happening was the sound waves being produced over at Novellis were getting into the metal structure of the building and actually causing the building to vibrate with that same pitch. It's kind of weird. Now, what's that got to do with this? Very simple. The reason Jesus told us to pray is because prayer draws us close to the heart of God. And what happens when we draw close to the heart of God? That vibration of God's heart, that resonance for those who are lost begins to cause our hearts to vibrate with that same resonance, that same frequency that God's heart has. We begin to pick up on God's love and our hearts begin to be changed by the rhythm of God's heart. And when our hearts are changed by the rhythm of God's heart, also our wills become transformed by God's will. You see, when our hearts become changed, our priorities change. And when our priorities change, our actions change. That's why Jesus said, look See the need and then draw close to my heart and pray. It's not just a matter of jumping up and going and doing it. It's a matter of having your heart changed so you have to do it. It's a passion. Just like it's God's passion. It becomes your passion. Pray. This is why I call you as the church of Jesus Christ to pray. I'm going to ask you to do something that many of our sister churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are doing next Sunday. I'm going to ask you from sunup to sundown next Sunday to make it a day of prayer That we might pray that God would open our eyes to see the fields ripe for harvest. That God might burden us, weigh us down with a conviction that it's our responsibility. And that God might raise up workers to go into the field. I'm asking you to join with me and to join with hundreds and thousands of brothers and sisters across this nation who will be praying 
to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers to go into the field. Pray. Not just this Sunday, not just next Sunday, but have it become a part of the routine of your life to pray the way Jesus calls us to pray. The second word or call to action is give. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, Peter write, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Money and possessions have a diabolical way of making us feel secure. The more we've got the more secure we feel. It is an illusion. It is a lie. Now, I'm not saying that money is an important commodity in the culture in which we live, nor am I saying that we should not put money aside for a rainy day or save anything for retirement, but... According to God's word, if we put our hope in material things, we will be disappointed. If that is where our hope is, then we will be disappointed. And so Paul calls this young pastor, Timothy, to encourage his congregation not to hold on to false security. Not to see that as the place where they deposit their hope. Instead, he tells them to do good and to give generously. Do good and give generously. But did you notice why? This is important. Verse 19, he says, So that they may take hold of the life that is truly Life. Did you know that there's a substitute for real life? I want to tell you what it is. It's consumerism. That's the substitute. It's everything they tell you on commercials. That's the substitute. Drink this beer. You'll have a great life. Drive this car, you'll have a great life, and all your friends will be envious. Live in this place, you'll have a great life. Wear these clothes, you'll have a great life. It is a lie. It is an illusion. Don't fall for it. Instead, live differently with different priorities, with a different purpose. 
If you want real security, if you want real hope, if you want real life, then invest yourself in the kingdom of God. Invest yourself in what lasts forever. Invest yourself in what impacts the eternity of men and women and children. Invest yourself in the kingdom. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that won't rust and that moths won't consume. Value what God values. See yourself not as a possessor of things, but as a channel of blessing. You see, God blesses us so that we may bless others. It's exactly what he told Abraham. I will bless you, and you'll be a blessing. Remember last week, We read these verses from Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We pray for missions. We're called to give to missions. I had Nancy Miller run some numbers for me. I'm not a numbers person, but when she gave me this, it kind of made me happy. Last year, this church family, in what we gave through our budgetary giving and what we gave through special offerings, what we gave to missions and Christian ministries, both local and around the world, totaled over $100,000. That... All right, you can be happy about that. I was. But what if, what if we chose to not put our hope in wealth but in God? We chose to be rich in good deeds and generous, willing to share. And we chose to take hold of that life that is truly life. What might that number look like in 2011? If we drew near to the heart of God and began to sense His heartbeat, and if we reprioritized the things that we value most, what could that number look like this year? What is the next level for us as a church and as individuals when it comes to giving in this area? The third call to action is go. The year was 1787. A young man with a burning passion for missions named William Carey had just spoken to a group of other ministers 
out of Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. A well-respected minister of that time, John Ryland Sr., rebuked young William Carey with these words. Sit down, young man. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. But Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in Acts 1a, it records Jesus saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will receive be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when I read the words of John Ryland to young William Carey and then turn around and read the words of Jesus Christ to his church, my prayer is, God, make me an enthusiast like William Carey. If that's what it means to be an enthusiast, that I have a heart and a passion for those who are lost and dying apart from Jesus Christ with no hope of an eternity in heaven without him, If it means that I am an enthusiast and a fanatic, make me that. Each year, many of you not only pray and give, but you go. We send at least one team, and again, most of them are self-supported. We send at least one team uh, out of the country every year to do missions. We've been in in Zambia. We've uh, got a team going to the Dominican Republic again this year. Some of you have gone individually to countries like India and China. That's wonderful. We've got people who roll up their sleeves and go to places like Where's Valley where they're not particularly uh, in, in the process of sharing their faith with the children at that children's home but are instead creating an environment for that to happen so that others can tell that's a good thing. Many of you in your grace groups and individually are engaging the lives of people so that they have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, perhaps because you built a bridge of friendship and a bridge of compassion to that person so that they're able to hear it. That is all great. I commend it. I applaud it. But what is the next level? Because I believe God is calling us to the next level. Where would God have us go from here? both individually and as a body. If we are earnestly praying for God to raise up harvesters to go into his field, if if our hearts are being changed as we draw near to the heart of God, if our view on money and possessions are being altered as we embrace the role of stewards rather than possessors, and if we're committed to go wherever God leads, in spite of our fears, our prejudices, our inadequacies, or our excuses, then the next level of missions in Grace Fellowship is beyond anything that you or I could ever conceive. If we are willing, God's dreams are so much greater than our dreams. God's plans are so much higher than our plans. We cannot conceive of all that God 
could do. This morning, I want to close this message with Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. This I have printed to stick in my devotional, my Bible, on the wall in my study. Because it is the prayer that for 2011, I will be praying for you. It's located in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as I read this in a heart of prayer for Grace Fellowship? I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If God is calling you to rise from your seat today and to take a stand to say, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior, I've been under conviction and God's saying, today's the day. Then I want to encourage you, don't let anything hold you back. You come. God has been leading you to unite with Grace Fellowship, to become members here in this body. God's laid that on your heart and has said, today's the day that I want to encourage you. You come. If God this morning has simply broken your heart and pointed you to the next level, then I want to encourage you to respond. You can use these steps, this front right here by the cross, as an altar for yourself to come and just... Just offer up a prayer to God. God, today it changes. Show me that next level and I'll follow. Whether it's praying, whether it's giving, God, whether it's going, if you show me what you want to do, I'll follow.